Welcome to Upthinking Finance, a podcast that offers a unique and discerning view of economics and financial planning. Here is your host, Emerson Fersh. Welcome back to another edition of Upthinking Finance. I'm Emerson Fersh. There's an Apache blessing that reads, Now you will feel no rain, for each of you will be shelter for the other. Now you will feel no cold, for each of you will be warmth for the other. Now there is no more loneliness, for each of you will be companion for the other. Now you are two persons, but there is only one life before you. You may remember that book from the 90s written by uh, M. Scott Peck called The Road Less Traveled. The very first sentence of that book says something about along the lines of life is hard or life is difficult. And I think that could be said of marriage, particularly the role of finances in marriage. It it can be a real issue for people. And my personal experience um, through both my work and also in leadership positions I've had in church, it's not necessarily the lack of finances or financial troubles, as people would say, but really how to make financial decisions as a couple. And I've seen kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, I suppose you could say with that. I've seen particularly in within a church environment, there tends to be this idea that the one partner, the one who's um, bringing home the income is the one that gets to decide how to spend the money and when and, and generally takes control of the whole financial situation. But broader, my experience working with clients and probably hundreds, if not maybe over a thousand in the years I've been in this line of work, uh, is that it, it is a partnership. And while there may be one primary point person or decision maker, it seems to me that most often couples make decisions together. I can share my experience, which is that my wife had a successful career before we got married. I think I've shared that in the past. But in my home, you know, you'd think with what I do for a living, I'd be the one making all the decisions, and that's not how it's been. Now, she does defer to me when it comes to retirement planning and that aspect of our, you know, our financial position or situation. But one thing I learned about my wife is she's exceptional. She has an exceptional eye for property. And she's also very smart when it comes to negotiating or making offers. An example of that would be the first condo we bought when we got married back in the late 90s. Uh, We found this place we liked. It was down in the Belmont Heights area of uh, Long Beach. You know, as a man, I think most men, the typical thing is, well, they're, they're asking this, we'll come in below it, you know, offer this, you know, like this natural desire to get a deal. And I remember sitting in a, in a cafe as we're discussing what we're going to do. And she says, Emerson, you better not blow this for us. <laughs> and in essence, I said, what do you mean? And, you know, she says, look, we want the place, right? I'm like, well, yeah. Well, then why would we come in low? Why don't we make our offer one that they won't say no to? And so effectively, we came in about $3,000 over, which would have never occurred to me ever, but it worked. And I remember her saying, what difference does an extra three grand make over you know the life of uh, the, the time we're there or 30-year loan, whatever? And I couldn't argue with that logic. And I will tell you that over the years, not only has she had an eye for property as we've moved a few times, our primary residence, but also been fortunate to be able to buy a property uh, or two outside of um, the area for vacation and other things. Her approach has been very good. And so I've always deferred to her. And I think that's the spirit of of finances and marriage is you find each other's strengths because everybody has something to contribute. And so 
Today's guests are a young couple, uh, which is why I wanted to invite them on, because generally young people don't have the wisdom. I mean, you get married and you're trying to figure out how to just have a relationship and even be a partner and figure out, uh, you know, just schedules. And I mean, there's a lot of things that go along with just being married, regardless of outside of the financial aspects. But Nick and Kelsey Burns are unique in my mind. They're kind of old souls. And so Nick was born in Cedar City. Uh, Utah. He's lived in both northern and southern Utah for uh, most of his life. He attended Southern Utah University before dropping out after a couple of years. Since that time, uh, he's worked as done a lot of the things we all do as when we're young in life. He's worked as a fence builder, a baker, a plumber assistant, a door-to-door salesman. And, but for the last eight years, Nick has worked as a coach, primarily in CrossFit, where he helps people like me, with performance, aesthetics, lifestyle, and nutrition. He and Kelsey, as I mentioned, got married. uh, They've been married eight years when she was 20 and he was 21. Kelsey was born in Southern California, but grew up in Southern Utah most of her life. Uh, She's worked as a waitress for a sign design company and most recently was a sales manager and interior designer for a local construction company. Uh, She recently left that job, which is an interesting part of their story, and currently works as a spin instructor. She does still do some consultation work on the side and currently is finishing certifications towards becoming a holistic health and spirituality practitioner. So it's my pleasure to welcome, coming from Cedar City, Utah, Nick and Kelsey Burns. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining me today. So I thought it'd be interesting to start off since you guys got married really young, how you met and, um, you know, just share a little bit about your background. We met 10 years ago. This is going to be coming up on 10 years in high school. We were kind of hanging out with the same group of friends and we actually dated each other's friends and we hung out like a lot of double dates with our other friends and we weren't dating at the time, but came around and then we started dating end of high school for Kelsey. Mm-hmm. And then early college days for me. And yeah, that's we met in high school. We're not really high school sweethearts, but... We kind of started out as just close friends. So we already had that comfortable relationship with each other. And then friendship became relationship. So, yeah. Cool. So let me ask you this. Did either of you in your life have any kind of financial education, any training at all? Because it's one thing to get married young. I mean, that just... I can't even fathom that since I was like in my mid to late 30s and I wouldn't have been ready. But did you bring any kind of preparation into the relationship, into the marriage at all? Uh, For me, no. I think I learned how to write a check in like sixth grade and that was about the only financial (laughs) things that I learned. Yeah, honestly, not like the super basic stuff you learned in high school. And other than that, it was a lot of just trial and error and figuring it out as we go. So I wouldn't say proper education, no. I think Kelsey would have been more financially um, independent going in because she kind of held the job since she was 14 and always paid her own bills. My dad did teach me a lot of lessons early on. He was kind of self-made, a really hard worker from a young age. So he taught me basic things basically learning how to work hard, but not necessarily like the specifics of managing finances or anything like that. So it's kind of ironic because, you know, school system, it's all geared towards steering people to a career, mm-hmm. but no one has ever taught how to actually manage money and make decisions. And so, okay. So you guys got married about eight years ago. Happy anniversary. That was about a m- last month, right? Yeah. Thank, yeah you. thank you. Is there like a first kind of situation that came up when you guys had to start dealing with the financial aspects of your marriage? Well, so we were, I always had a job when we were 
I was a waitress, so I always kind of had the quick cash coming in. I was used to having my own money. You early on in our marriage, he worked for a company called Vivint, so he had that steady income. He had full benefits, a company vehicle. We were kind of somewhat stable when we were first married. And then the biggest shock and transition was when he quit that job and kind of pursued his passion, which I'm sure we'll get into. That was like the biggest change in our financial life. Yeah, we weren't making money and we had to kind of figure out how to survive at that point. So was this the one where you quit the job without talking to Kelsey about it first? Sure was. Yeah, I was one of the youngest in the company. I got offered the regional manager position and it was terrifying for me. So I was working part time at a CrossFit gym at the time coaching only 5 and 6 a.m. and then working this full-time job and I was sitting and we had to wait for these panels to update like some of the job would be going to someone's house and just updating their panel and that's when I the panel was being really slow and so I had a lot of time to think and I just typed out the email sat there for a second hovering over send and then just sent it that was the end of it so how did you react to that Kelsey it was shocking but it wasn't I should say because I knew he wasn't super fulfilled with his work it was more so just that he already committed without telling me was the thing. So yeah, it was kind of just a big change. It was cool to see him go after what he was passionate about, but like figuring out the financial aspect when he went from making really good stable money to honestly, practically nothing investing more in his work than we were making. So that's when I would say I kind of stepped up so we could pay the bills at the end of the day. And, and yeah, it was definitely a transition time. So that could have been a bit of a, I won't say deal breaker, but that could have been a bit of a problem. And I I know in my interactions with people, something like that really could be a a mountain rather than a molehill. How'd you guys work through that? I think that was more of Kelsey working through. I I was, for me, on my end, I was super excited because it was, I was miserable at the job. Like I just, there was nothing that I enjoyed about that job at the time. When I first really started with it, it was fun. We were doing door-to-door sales. You'd go out for a summer. You'd hang out with your bros. Then when I kind of transitioned into the full-time, there was really nothing fulfilling about it. So for me, on my end, transitioning into something I was very passionate about and felt like I was making an impact was super exciting. But I think on Kelsey's end, it was pretty fearful. And He was, I'm sure, I mean, you're kind of riding the high of chasing your dreams. So he's kind of in, he was tunnel vision, just really set on what he wanted to do. And I was kind of the one who I'm kind of more stable and try to do things the safe, secure route. So that's how I was raised. And so it was kind of scary. It's a little unsure in that, in that phase of life when we're early married and paying bills and figuring out how much money we have to make to pay the bills every month. And then, yeah, him just kind of going all in. I, that was when I was waitressing and I would pick up double shifts so we could pay for groceries. Like I always kind of saw the vision of what he was wanting to do. And I saw his passion, but at the end of the day, I still had to make some money. So. (laughs) Yeah. But that's interesting because you could have been real resentful and I'm not trying to create problems. Can't deny that it, it definitely creeps up. And it was, it wasn't perfect. It was within the first year of our marriage. I Mm -hmm. think it was like coming up on that just past that first year point. So we were still babies. (laughs) Yeah. So did you guys have like a discussion about, okay, going forward? Cause I know even like when 
Darcy and I got married. And I mean, she had a job. We were both pretty well along in our careers and all that. We made a decision, okay, if we spend, anybody makes an expenditure over, and I don't remember what the amount was at the time. I mean, this is 20 plus years ago, like $500 or a thousand or something. We discuss it with the other person. So we, you know, the groundwork starts getting laid as you go through these experiences. Did you guys have that kind of a discussion or? I think our biggest thing was just no debt. Like neither of us ever wanted to be mm-hmm. in debt. So we always made sure when I mean, we had a credit card at the time, we would hardly use it. We'd only use it on kind of bigger purchases that we knew we could pay off, but we didn't have much money at the time. So we were kind of more so adjusting our lifestyle around not needing those big expenditures or not, you know, being a little bit more self-sustained and lowering our cost of living essentially to not go into debt. So was that something that you both kind of knew about each other before you got married? Yeah. Neither of us, like, that's one thing. I can't enjoy spending money if it's not my own. Like, if, if we started going in the negative and went in the red, I think I think there was some sort of mutual understanding. Like, if, that's, if this gets really, really bad, like, you'll have to figure out a more stable job. But somehow we were able to just live within our means. It was definitely tight, like 99% of the time, but we figured it out. I was was not going to crank up debt. Like that's the one thing I think we had on the same same page there. We were not going to get into a lot of debt to chase our dreams. That's awesome. Okay, so Nick quits. He starts coaching. You're working at the restaurant. Then kind of what happens after that? Because at this point, you're making the sacrifice to allow you know, Nick to get, pursue his passion, so to speak. But certainly, you know, you wanted to do, you know, more than, than waitressing long-term, obviously. So. Yeah. I think I kind of went into a phase of like survival mode, honestly. Like I kind of just put my head down and was, was working. Like I said, you kind of get addicted to the fast cash you get every day waitressing. So I kind of like, there was definitely a point I didn't really see a light at the end of the tunnel. Like it feels like a long it's not an easy route to kind of chase your dreams. It doesn't happen overnight. He he took years of continuing his education and getting those hours just to become a the coach he is today. But I mean, there was a period he was making next to nothing. And then his boss at the time was like three paychecks late at one point, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he wasn't even getting paid for the small amount of money he was making. So that's when it got like really scary. Yeah, and, that's when you transition to Rainbow. Yeah. Yeah, so then I I mean, I worked other jobs after waitressing, and I was always kind of, I would say I progressed and got a little bit more fulfilled with each job I took. But even then, I just went into the 9 to 5, not doing anything I loved. It was just, I would kind of see him living his dream, doing what he loved every single day, and I would go put my head down and work unfulfilling jobs just every single day. So... Yeah, that was kind of probably one of the roughest points when he wasn't getting any paycheck at one point and it got pretty sketchy there. (laughs) So, Was there ever a moment where you really thought, you know, geez, this isn't going to work where you just felt like, you know, this, this, maybe we need to shift gears and, you know, Nick, you got to go do something else where you're actually getting paid. (laughs) Yeah, for me, it was 2018 when our, the gym owner, he was behind on checks, behind on checks. And then I had actually found, so there's a competition called the Iron Games here in town. It's a CrossFit competition. Um, and they were investing in it. It was kind of going through our gym. And I was behind a month and a half on payment. And this is when the pizza story for us comes into play, which was a very big turning point where we had no money. 
uh, I think I looked at my bank account. It was like 263 in my bank account. We had no food and we were just sitting there like, what are we going to do? Well, how are we going to eat tonight? Um, that's when our friend knocked on the door. He got a two for one special on pizza. And he's like, hey, do you guys want this one pizza? So we took the pizza. And then the next day, I actually found a check made out to the summer games for amount of money, did the math. There's the money I was owed. Mm. So that was kind of for me the turning point of like, okay, my value here is no, like I have to switch gears. So my brother worked for a construction or he is, he's a foreman for a construction company. So I called him up, made sure I had the job secured, quit the next day and then started doing that. But while I was doing that, I was still pursuing. It was more now, okay, I know I want to coach. So I pursue it more on the online realm. And it was actually a really, I think, kind of perfect timing because then all of COVID happened. We kind of switched to online. I came here. So for me, that was the big like turning point where I never thought it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to work for that, that space and that gym, essentially. And then Kels, your career started progressing. And then you, you, I guess the big jump professionally for you was when you went to work for the construction company. Yeah. So I started working for a company. Um, we did kit homes. So I was the sales manager and interior designer. Again, like it was, it was the best job I had received. I was passionate about the company and what I did. I really enjoyed the job, but it was again, just kind of one job, super burned out to the next job, super burned out, not working anything that's really aligned to my passion, I would say. I was only really focused on money and security and not really following my dreams or my passions. I kind of, over the years, lost a lot of my creativity and my outlets, just kind of in survival mode, just in that season of life. And it was a stable job. Like, again, you're used to the waitressing where you just get the quick cash, but it's not stable. It's just in and out. This was more stable. I knew what was coming in every month, but the time and energy I put into it was still just like, I would, again, you kind of see your spouse go to work, live the dream, live their passion, making like way more money than you. And you're just doing like the nine to five, just burnt out 24 seven. I would come home just so overstimulated from the day that I hardly had any energy for him at the end of the night, just cause you're exhausted. So I knew I, I mean, we kind of had conversations where we knew it couldn't be a long-term thing. And maybe it was kind of my turn to go after the things I want to do. So. But see, that's really important that you guys communicated about it. Was there ever a time where any of this got to a point where it was like, wow, this, I might, did I make the right decision getting married? And I'm not trying to sound dramatic, but literally, you know, these are things, I mean, I've seen as, you know, my church leadership callings where this stuff just becomes a big problem for people. Especially in the culture in Utah, like one thing I think in hindsight, looking back, I don't think we would have gotten married as young. I think we had kind of a pressure to to get married because that's a lot of the culture in this state and kind of the way I was raised. Yeah, again, looking back, I don't know if we would have gotten married as young. We probably would have been a little more wanting to be established before we made that jump. Everything happens for a reason. We figured it out along the way, but... There was times, and just when he brought up that transition from leaving that gym, it was more so like me as his spouse, like looking looking at what was actually happening. I feel like he was so into like just 
living his passion and he was so into coaching and helping people he was still doing what he loved to do it was more so the situation of I was just kind of watching him get walked all over his time wasn't valued he was getting paid like nothing practically running this business while the owners were completely checked out so it was just kind of a toxic environment and I kind of had to just bite my tongue like over and over and over again just watching him getting taken advantage of to be honest so yeah and is that because of the culture here that um basically well i don't know if there's a tactful way to put it everybody has a role right the female generally isn't uh to speak up you know about these kinds of things so yeah. which brings me to another point did you guys you know ever feel pressure for you to stop working, I mean, did you get that kind of a thing? Because that is, a, a, like you mentioned, the culture here is a lot different. And yeah. there are sort of a, a, a blueprinted path of where, you know, people are supposed to go. I mean, I had the pressure from day one. So, I mean, we can get into it. I was raised religious in a LDS family. He wasn't, but um, I'm no longer religious. That's kind of what you do. You get married, the woman, the next step, you have kids. Like that's what all my personal friends, they all have like three or four kids by now. I was always kind of focused on my career. I, even from a young age, I never really saw myself like just being a stay at home mom. I've always kind of wanted to be a career woman. I like have a lot of entrepreneurial spirit in me and I always kind of wanted to create something on my own. But yeah, that's, that's what you do. I've had pressure from the day we got married, like that's the next step. And we're closer to our thirties now and the pressure will always be there, but that's kind of what you do. The woman is more of the homemaker and she has kids and the husband provides and that's how it goes. And that wasn't necessarily our situation, so. I never felt pressure growing up, uh, really, until we got married from the in-laws of, mm -hmm. you know, how are you going to provide, what's, what's going to be your role, always, I think a lot of conversation was centered around when are we going to have kids, you know, like when's that going to happen, and on her side of the family, every, I don't think any of the women are working, except for Kelsey, she's the only working woman on her side of the family, so it's, yeah, it's definitely pressure from that side. To put it in LDS parlance, you're a pioneer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and not to, to harp on this, but I, I mean, it is important because I, I remember, gosh, years ago uh, when I first got into my work and I was at the bank, this was back in like 93 in downtown Long Beach. And I had this old couple sitting at my desk and they were like depression era, you know? So probably in their 80s, you know, 30 years ago, right? And I remember when they got up and left, the man's wife came back to me, Mabel, and she goes, thank you. And I'm like, well, you're welcome. What are you thanking me for? She goes, thank you for acknowledging me. And so there was this idea, again, that same kind of ingrained traditional role thing. And, and she was used to people just talking to her husband all the time and not including her. And I just, you know, I don't know if it's being raised in California, the household I was in, as crazy as it was, I just, that was just how you treat people equally, but good for you guys for sticking true to, to the path that's kind of revealed itself to you. Cause I, you know, that's it. There's an added layer here in Utah for sure. So you got this job and then you've kind of recently, you guys have sort of had some defining moments in your life, which I want to just, I think the listeners would appreciate. And that is, you know, you had this great job and, and you decided to leave. So you maybe kind of share that whole process and Nick, how you felt about it. 
That was quite a decision. So I was, like I said, I was in this company. I was the sales manager, interior designer. I had kind of created a relationship with a lot of developers throughout the years and was working directly with a lot of them. There was a huge opportunity I had to basically be the realtor on a massive development going on in here in our town. And I mean, I could have made a lot of money on it. It was all like all my programming and all my security based like needs were like, yes, just go make the money. Like you kind of, I would say it strokes your ego a little bit too, to have people kind of see that value in you. I, I mean, I'm, I was the only female in the entire company. I was surrounded by all these like powerful, successful men and they saw something in me. They wanted me to be a part of the team and like asked Nick for, for months. I was just like, yes, I'm going to go make all this money. Like I was so hungry for it and I was excited and pumped. And I was so far through the process of getting my license and all the plans were set. Everything was the go. And I really had, I mean, I don't really even know how to describe it, but just a full turning point of just kind of evaluating my life. Like I have workaholism kind of runs in my family. My dad's a workaholic. He ran a construction company. Like it's, I could have seen myself just getting so addicted to that lifestyle that I would have just put my head for the next 10, 20 years into only work. And I would have been busier than I even was then probably never would have seen him. I was already hardly seeing my family or friends or doing anything. I was just only working. Like my friends hardly ever saw me. My family hardly ever saw me. And I knew I was going to just get busier from there. So I had a real long thought process of, do I want money? Do I just want to make a ton of money in the next couple decades? And just, that's my focus. Or do I want to actually go after all the other things that I'm passionate about that I've just put on the side all these years chasing security? So the other thing was like talking about having kids. I could have seen myself, oh, 20 more years flash by and I've never slowed down to even think about having kids. And I know that's something we would want at some point in life, not necessarily today, but I knew if I kind of made that decision, I'm kind of an all, all or nothing type of person. I would have just gone full in and... I just, oh, I had so many thoughts going on for months. It was not an easy decision. And I turned down that opportunity. I, I had a good conversation with the developers and everyone. It, it all ended up really smooth and still ended on good terms. Everything worked out great. And I might still be doing interior design work for them in the future. So I still have that relationship. But I basically chose everything else that I've been putting on the side and um, long story short, I just I signed up for a coaching program. I actually graduate next week. I am going to be a holistic health and spirituality practitioner, everything that I'm kind of drawn to. So I'll get to do a balance of all the little things I love. So I'm a fitness instructor, I'm in nutrition, I'm in spirituality and holistic health, and I can kind of do a balance of all the things that I do in my free time, the stuff that I'm researching when I'm off the clock and the stuff that brings me joy so yeah I kind of said no to that huge opportunity and now I'm like all in on the stuff that lights me up so was this when you guys had the what does our rich life look like discussion is that kind of when this came up I think the first time we talked about it was during COVID so I think everybody's mindset started shifting I mean I was already you know doing what I want I think I was not necessarily ahead of the curve or just 
off the beaten path, but mm-hmm. I was kind of already there. And I think just those conversations started popping up more. And that's when the, what is your rich life? It's a financial book. I can't remember the name of the author, but he talks about that. Like most people, when you're thinking of, you know, like financial planning or saving money, it's like, okay, first thing goes is the $8 coffee. And then his example is, well, what if you want the $8 coffee? So basically like that starts the conversation of like, what does your rich life look like? What are the things that you want to have in your day to day in your work life? What is your bank look like? Like what are your priorities? And so for us, we had always kind of had those conversations for sure. Um, but I think that was kind of like our tagline and that started being like what the conversation would start with is like, what is your rich life? We'd sit down, what does your perfect day look like? And kind of going through that more and more. And so I think that, yeah, that really started to shape where we are now for sure. And I think especially where Kelsey's at now. Well, um, when I think of the term, like your rich life, I like even just the word abundance, I don't only think of abundance as like your monetary value and how much money you're bringing in. Like I think of abundance of time, abundance of freedom, abundance of joy, abundance of fulfillment. It's so much more than just how much money you're bringing in because you can be making a ton of money and be completely miserable. So it's so funny to listen to you guys because like I said, I mean, you don't probably see it, but (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in this because even my generation, like as a baby boomer, you know, it was just all about career, get a job, you know, security, security in, you know, financial security was security, you know? And I think a lot of people, I mean, just would think that family time, you know, all the things you're talking about that really make up a full life were secondary. You know, the, the, the work is first, the financial security is first, and then you fit in the rest of it. But I will say, I have noticed the shift like you brought up, Nick, with the COVID. But even before that, I think I've had some clients that have pulled the plug on their work in their mid-50s and um, are doing really well. So people are starting to definitely, you know, in my generation, rethink what's really important, as you said. And part of that comes with just not getting attached to stuff. But I'm with you, you know, I I appreciate the valuation of just the people you spend time with, the freedoms, just those little things, not running around with, you know, with this frenzied, frenetic lifestyle of of always chasing, you know, these duties. I'm really glad that, you know, I've had the flexibility I've had with my work. So that's great. So I guess I I love just listening to you guys talk because, you know, you're so young to have the view of the life you do. You know, work isn't work. You've heard that before. You know, if you're doing what you love, it's never work. You know, for me personally, I mean, I'm finally enjoying really, I shouldn't say finally enjoying, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing a lot more now because I've had more time to put into it, particularly now that I'm not as involved in church responsibilities. Um, I've really been able to dive in and it's just opened up a whole new world for me, which is great, you know, and I'm chasing 60. (laughs) So... If you're looking at your marriage and and what you guys have been through with all these decisions, is there one just kind of common thread that you could really point to between you guys? I know it might be a little personal, but that really has been like the constant that's helped you stay together, work through these things. And I think you probably would agree that it just brings you closer. I mean, that's kind of the whole, at least in my mind, the purpose of the marriage. I think the biggest thing, like just support of each other, at least that's what I felt where, you know, I did this initial jump and 
Kelsey, I think, was very fearful, and it was just been the first year of our marriage, and you asked, like, you know, this could be well, or, like, for me to go through that, and then, one, have her support, and I think the whole time she was always just looking out for me, like, wanting what was best for me, looking out for my best interests, and then now to flip the page, you know, to where I'm in a position where I'm making way more than I was making at the event. I'm able to support her and her dreams, like, when it flipped the page, it wasn't me being fearful or like, no, it was me almost pushing her to do that. It felt good to fill that role for her to be now the supporting role, now to be that for her. And I think, you know, in the end, what was something that could have derailed or, you know, maybe led to a divorce or, I mean, I, we never felt that, but in most cases, possibly. And now to be, you know, eight years down the line and to have, do that supporting role for her and to allow her to step into her own. Um, when we were talking about this, I think the biggest thing that has happened for us in a marriage, which is we've kind of grown separately, but together. When we first came into the marriage, it was very much like, okay, you know, I need you, you need me. There's not really like anything outside of each other, but now we've both stepped into roles separately where like, you know, we were talking about today is just, you know, we could, if we walked away from the marriage, we would both be these standing pillars of support for our own. Like Kelsey can support herself all day. I can support myself all day. And now that we've been able to do that and kind of breed confidence in each other where she helped me out. And now I'm in a position to help her out and push her to chase her dreams, I think is really like a defining thing of our relationship and something that I'm really proud that we've both done together and been able to do as we've grown up together, essentially. Yeah, we're both very independent people with independent passions, and we've kind of taken turns in our marriage, held different roles at different times. And like he was saying, even like when I quit my most recent job, it was a few months ago. It's still very recent. It's still fresh. And how many times I've like gone back to my security programming of just like oh like I've been offered a few other jobs in the last few months and I'm like oh I could probably still manage another job I could just stack it on because that's what I've always done and I always think oh it'd be nice to just have some stable income coming in here and I can still do my program I can still coach spin I can still do this and I'm always trying to add more to my plate and I I think I can manage it all but he's kind of he's been the one that says no like take this time you've just gotten out of that lifestyle and you're allowed to kind of take this time for yourself. So he's been the one really keeping me grounded. Like you're safe to do this essentially. And I don't think I would have actually made the jump of quitting that job and kind of going all in if he didn't give me that stability. So we've just taken turns. I read in the intro that Apache blessing. Now you are two persons but there was only one life before you. And that's kind of what you guys just explained. You know, it's this partnership where you are individuals, but you're sharing this this road together. And, um, you know, I think, you know, not to minimize it to just the, the core financial thing, but one of the smart decisions you guys have had is the, is the no debt policy, because that theme has come up time and time again, as I've talked to people on the podcast and just clients is you had that freedom to be able to make these choices and, and, and not be controlled by these outside variables that can limit you. That's just a, a good foundation, you know, a fi- pure financial aspect foundation to build on. And, 
you know, I've experienced that too. You know, Darcy quit her job. She was doing really well, <laughs> you know, at top of her career and everything else. But, um, you know, that's the partnership and, and, and what a blessing it is to have a, a companion that sees you and builds you and allows, you know, supports the personal growth versus having these expectations, um, which, you know, I'm sure you know people that live their whole lives feeling this, that I'm committed to this role. You know, I used to see it in the faces of men and women, pain, pain in their face of, of what might have been. And I mean, gosh, who the hell wants to live like that? You know? So I appreciate you guys. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Darcy and I talk sometimes it's like, you know, gosh, we have these, these, you know, we're old. We have these young friends who are like half our age, but you know, you guys are old souls and, uh, you know, I'll speak for myself. I'm probably, I won't say an immature soul, but certainly <laughs> younger than I think I probably. Young at heart. <laughs> yeah. Young yeah. at heart. So no, we appreciate the friendship and you guys are a great example for us. And um, it's just, I'm glad, you know, you have an influence on my son too, you know, who trains with you, Nick. And I just think that it's good for him to see men like you, how you uh, and Kelsey interact um, because I, you know, I want him to, he's, he's inclined that way. And I, I just think it's important for men to see how you properly interact in a marriage. And it isn't about being a dictator, you know, it's, it's mutual trust and respect. And you guys are just a great example of that. So thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast and, um, appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. us. It was uh, fun to tell a little yeah. bit of our story. So mm-hmm. thank you. And we love you guys all the same to you. We love you and Darcy, you guys are young souls and old souls which is the best of both worlds we love hanging out with you guys Mm -hmm. awesome well thanks a lot emerson fersh is a registered representative with and securities offered through lpl financial member finra sipc advisor services offered through lpl financial a registered investment advisor and separate entity from capital investment advisors The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. The guest speakers and the companies they represent are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial or Capital Investment Advisors. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal expert. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal.